let's talk about how to love yourself and how to set boundaries and how that brings you to a more satisfying life. That's today's subject. Building spirituality, family, health, and business. This is The Giant Builders with Lois Wyant. Welcome, Giant Builders. We're here today with Barb Nangle, and she has a podcast, and she's a boundaries coach. So how are you, Barb? I'm doing pretty good. How are you, Lois? I'm fine. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about you. Okay. So I am 59, and when I was 52 years old, I got into 12-step recovery initially for codependence. This is after a lifetime of therapy, self-help, workshops, retreats, you name it. And I feel like all those things I did were helpful, but it was like they scratched the surface of the iceberg and 12-step recovery melted the iceberg for me. And about a year into my um, recovery, I also found out that I was a compulsive overeater. So I'm in recovery for that as well. And I'm down over 100 pounds from my top weight. Um, February 1st will be five years at goal weight. And um, so my life has been deeply and profoundly changed as a result of my recovery And one of the most important things I learned in recovery was to have healthy boundaries. And as a codependent, which if people don't know what that means, you're not alone, because I never heard that word until like, that's what got me into recovery. I was like, wait, what is this word? That's it describes me. How is it possible? I've done all this searching and I'm so introspective and I've done all this therapy and I've never heard of it. So codependent people essentially are much more focused on that which is outside themselves. So either we want people's approval, we want people to like us, we're focused on them and what they're doing and we need to fix and rescue and save. That was me, but I don't know that I would ever have described myself that way. And boundaries are the antidote to that. So because boundaries were such an important um, gift of recovery. And now they've become an incredibly important tool of recovery. Long story short, that's how I became a boundaries coach. And what I learned through setting boundaries was many things because they really permeate every single area of your life. But I feel like what happened for me in the process of learning healthy boundaries was I really got to know myself. I got to know what I like, don't like, need, want, and prefer. And because setting boundaries is an experimental process, like you can make educated guesses about, I think this is what my limit is here. And then you test it out and you see how that goes and then you move it wherever you need to. It's the process of getting to know yourself because many of us, like I was a chameleon, you know, I, if I, like I, whatever football team I was a fan of was based on what guy I was dating. And meanwhile, I don't actually like football. (laughs) You know, um, so I was like a Giants fan, I think twice, no, Dallas Cowboys fan twice, Giants fan, uh, Patriots fan. uh, I think I was a Jets fan at one point too. And I actually don't even like football. So um, I started, pardon? Never a Colts fan? No, no, not, (laughs) not a Colts fan. And um, so 
for me, that that has a lot to do with why I started my podcast, which is called Fragmented to Whole, Life Lessons from 12-Step Recovery. And it's called that because I realize now when I look back at my life before recovery, it was almost like I was these fragmented pieces sort of floating around in space. And then there was space between my fragments, which meant other people's shit could like leak into my space. And recovery helped me to integrate all of those fragments into one coherent whole. It also helped me kind of get rid of the fragments that weren't authentically me. And so I'm whole now. And so I can be rocked by things that happen to me, but I can't be shattered by them the way that I used to because I'm not fragmented. And I think um, that has a lot to do with the healthy boundaries. So I had all these like masks that I wore or facades up. And so that contributed to the fragmentation. And then also what I learned in recovery was that I have trauma and it's called relational trauma, which is the trauma you experience in relationship, typically in a dysfunctional family. Mm -hmm. And that really healing the trauma through the process of recovery helped me with that too. So that's a, like an incredibly short version of my story. Okay. So which of the 12 steps do you feel? I mean, I would assume that the step one is where you start, but which step do you think really make made a change for you? So um, for those people who don't know uh, the 12 steps, I will say step which is where we take a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. So this is where we really take a look at the patterns of our lives. And in most 12-step programs, what you're looking for is things that you have done so that you can clean up the wreckage of the past. And that's super important. But in my main program, which is called Adult Children of Alcoholics and Dysfunctional Families, we actually look at what happened to you. So you can still get at what you've done by way of what happened to you. And so a good example to illustrate that in my life is this. What happened to me was I grew up in a family that engaged in indirect communication. So if you had a problem with this person, you did not talk to that person. You talked to everybody around them. So this is a communication pattern laid down in my life before I was born. There was no hope of me growing up in that family and learning how to directly communicate. So what I did was I gossiped. So it's not that my parents said, let's sit around and talk about people, but that's what we did. And so when I learned that in recovery, I learned it in my ACA program first. And so in that program, we very much recognize you are a product of your environment. So understanding that this came from somewhere took away a lot of the sting. Whereas if I had done the 12 steps first in my other program, where you are not allowed to look at other people or the environment or your family, I think I would have been riddled with guilt and shame, like, oh my God, I gossip. But as a result of doing it in the dysfunctional family program, it's like, oh, this came from somewhere. It was adaptive at the time. It is not anymore. And either way, I have to stop. So I think step four, because... You know, I mentioned I'm a very introspective person. I was in therapy, not continuously, but for 37 years from 15. And then when I was 52, when I got into recovery, so there was some time off in between there. None of those therapists ever told me any of the, they never said to me, you don't have boundaries. You're codependent. You've been traumatized. You grew up in a dysfunctional family. You have victim mentality. None of that, not none, none, none of that. 
And so, so, so much became evident about me through this process, especially step four. But I will also say that um, the fact that 12-step recovery is a spiritual program, which means that you rely on a power greater than yourself. A lot of people think that means you have to believe in God. That's not what it means. It means that you have to believe that there's something out there that is greater than you on which you can depend and rely and turn things over to. And even though I was a spiritual person before I got into recovery, my spirituality is way, way bigger and more important than it was before. So I think that that has a lot to do with the power of the program too. And that sort of underlies all of the steps. So is there a particular type of person that joins your coaching program? I not sure I know. Yeah, about that. <laughs> typically, typically people who um, have been um, either in the helping professions or have people who are addicts in their lives or have repeatedly date people who are addicts and alcoholics um, or people who are chronically ill. So typically people who are like fixers, rescuers, savers, um, they, they don't take good care of themselves. They are unable to keep the focus on themselves. They pay way more attention to what other people think about them than what they think about themselves. So those are, those are my typical clients. And I, um, I do private and group coaching. I do private coaching at any point in time. And I've just recently started, um, a VIP day for women entrepreneurs called feminine biz boundaries. And it's been astonishing to me, the drastic changes in people very quickly in working with me. Um, I mean, I literally, I watch it happen right before my very eyes. And I just wish that I had this um, understanding of myself many years ago. I mean, I'm grateful that I got it when I got it. And I'm, I don't regret the past or anything like that. But um, that's one of the reasons why I became a coach, because I didn't know so many things about myself and I was trying. So I can't even imagine what it's like for people who are not trying. So one of the phrases we use in recovery is that we carry the message of recovery to those who still suffer. That's part of step 12. And that's my mission in life. And so... Um, I do that through my podcast, but I also do that through my boundaries coaching because, you know, maybe you don't need 12 step recovery, but you still need boundaries and learning how to have healthy boundaries is so healing. It is so, so healing and is so freeing, which is kind of counterintuitive because a lot of people think, oh, if I get boundaries, that means I'm going to put up walls or it means that I'm going to have to be a jerk to people and I'm not going to be helpful. And I can tell you, Lois, I was a, I called myself a volunteeraholic before I got into recovery. And when I got first got in, I quit everything. And I was like, you know who I'm going to volunteer for? I'm going to volunteer for Barb. But now that I've been in recovery for a while, I give way more service to my community than I ever did before. One, because I do it by choice and I plan my time. And so I'm very strategic about it. You know, it's in line with my values. And two, I have so much more energy than I ever had before because I take really good care of myself and I have healthy boundaries. So I have it to give, you know, so, um, you know, boundaries are really very freeing. They really are. 
I do. I can imagine that women business owners probably do need some boundaries. Yeah. To be honest with you, the reason I started my feminine biz boundaries um, VIP date was because I do, I identify strongly as an entrepreneur and I actually see a lot of overlap in the worlds of entrepreneurship and um, recovery because both of those realms, you have to learn to fall down and get right back up because you're not going to make it if you don't get back up. Falling is just part of life. Just get back up. But what I found in a lot of the, because I do a lot of networking, especially with women, is so many women entrepreneurs suck at boundaries. So that means things like not taking good care of themselves, running themselves ragging, thinking they have to do everything, not knowing how to delegate, or when they do delegate, then they micromanage the people. Um, They don't get rid of toxic employees. They don't get rid of toxic clients. They don't charge people what they worth when what they're worth. Um, when their clients, um, they start working with a client, and the client will like there will be scope creep in the work, and they'll be like, "Oh, do this, do that," and then they don't charge them for that. All of those are boundary issues, and I can help people in one day to really institute boundaries, make a plan of action based on their values, and then help them hold themselves accountable to following through on that. And it's been pretty miraculous. Mm. Yeah. Is there a particular boundary that you find most women business owners need to set? Um, I think it's taking care of themselves, putting themselves like there's this notion that self-care is selfish. It's bullshit. Self-care is actually selfless. And the example I use all the time, everybody knows it. In the airplane, they say if the oxygen mask falls down, you put the mask on yourself first before someone that you are caring for or helping. And what they don't say, which they should, is this. The reason you do that is you can't help them if you're passed out. And so if we take care of ourselves, here's how I think of it from my own personal case. Like I went to the world before I had healthy boundaries from a place of lack. So I was like, like me, approve of me. I didn't know that I was doing that, but I realized, you know, I wanted other people's approval. And so I went to the world from a place of lack in that regard. And then I also didn't take care of myself. So I was drained. So I went to the world from a place of lack in that regard. Well, now I take really good care of myself. I truly love myself. So now I go to the world from a place of abundance. And I mean that in two ways. One, I am full of love and that is what I have to give. So I go to the world to give love. And I have so much energy because I take really good care of myself. And I think for me, the core of me being able to be someone who never had boundaries to having really healthy boundaries is that I've come to care more what I think of me than what other people do. Now, what this means is not that I don't care at all what other people think, but I used to put other people's opinion of of me way above my own. And I was willing to throw my integrity out the window. So I would lie and say, oh yeah, I'm happy to do that. Or or agree to things I didn't want to agree to or pretend I didn't like things that I did because I was afraid to be judged. So that's called lying. And so that was me throwing my integrity out the window. And so now my integrity as an honest woman is so much more important to me than what you think of me. I, I want you to like me but I don't like need you to like me the way that I used to. 
And so I go out to the world and I'm like, I like me. So you liking me is a bonus. It's not a requirement. So in that way, I also come to the world from a place of abundance. Which do you need to do first? Start setting boundaries or learn to love yourself? I feel like it's an iterative process because it's hard to love yourself when you don't know yourself. And part of the way that you get to know yourself is this experimentation process of setting boundaries. So I learned um, I actually don't like football. Like on some level, I knew that, but I wanted to be cool. I mean, I, I happen to be a heterosexual woman. So the people I've dated have been men and they liked football. And so I was like, good girlfriend, you know, like I'm going to, and I like, and meanwhile, I don't really care. I don't need to watch football with you. I don't need to stop you from doing it if that's what brings you joy. But um, so getting to know yourself and realizing like this woman is pretty cool. And I think here's another thing. I never had low self-esteem. I think I've always liked myself, but I did not love myself. And what I've realized, I think in the last couple of years is that what I think I lacked was self-worth. So when I look back at my behavior in the past, that is not a woman who really felt worthy, even though I liked myself. And the other thing is I did a lot of work in my 20s to clean up the negative self-talk. And I thought I was good with that. But when I got into recovery, I was like, oh my goodness, there is so much more in there. And I've really done a lot of work. I've said affirmations for a long time. That has really accelerated in recovery. And I know that some people think that they're BS, but I will say, you know, like if you have been poisoning the reservoir of your mind for decades with negative self-talk, it's definitely good to stop the negative self-talk. That reservoir will eventually purify if you stop pouring the poison in. But it will purify much more quickly if you put in some medicine an antidote to that poison. And that's what affirmations are. And what I found is one, you don't have to believe them. You just start saying them. It's the opposite of what you've been saying. And two, it takes dramatically less time to clean up the reservoir of your mind with affirmations than it took to poison the reservoir of your mind. It's it's amazing to me. So I said negative things for, I mean, I don't know when it started, but let's say it started at 15 to 52, that's 37 years of just poison in my brain. And I would say like my first two years in recovery were my most dramatic change. So 37 years of, of poison and less than two years of medicine to really clean that up is pretty dramatic. What does the first meeting with you look like? Well, I do a free 30 minute better boundaries call with people and what I do is kind of help them create a vision for themselves of like, okay, this is what my life would look like if I had healthy boundaries. And then we talk about like, what are some of the obstacles that they have in the way of getting to that vision? I ask them, what are some strategies that you have tried in the past and what's worked and what hasn't worked? Um, I ask them about like, what are some concrete things that, you know, like if I can do this or if I can be, do, or have this, I'll be like, yes, so I have this boundaries thing down. And then I also ask them to think about like, what is your, like your deepest desire about having healthy boundaries? And often it's something that they've never voiced before. 
So it's really about them getting a vision for themselves. And um, like, so I'm like, you tell me what you want and I'll let you know if I can get you there. And I cannot think of one person that I have ever spoken to that I felt like, yeah, I don't think I can help them. I, I don't, I cannot think of anybody that that's ever happened. Tell me a little bit about the speakers on your podcast. What would we, what information would we be getting? Yeah. So I um, very rarely have speakers. Um, so okay. I'm about to have my 200th episode on February 20th. Congratulations. And I started having guests on episode 100 as a celebration and I have them on every 10 episodes. So I haven't had that many guests, but they must be in 12 step recovery. And so the phrase that we use in recovery is we share our experience, strength, and hope. So this is what my life was like before recovery, what happened in recovery, and what my life is like now. That's essentially the formula for sharing your story in recovery. And so the vast majority of my episodes are about me and me sharing my experience, strength, and hope. I do have 20-something of them that are about boundaries but they're about all kinds of topics. And essentially they're mostly 10 to 20 minute episodes on a very specific topic. And one of the pieces of feedback I hear pretty regularly from people is that there's no extra, there's no extra words. There's nothing left unsaid. Like I tie it up in a nice neat bow for them. And what's really funny Lois is much of my life. Most of the men I've dated have said to me, get to the point. What are you saying? And so to be able to have that kind of clarity and to say things succinctly, because I'm a very verbose person, is is pretty amazing. And the thing is, I really started my podcast because I found that when I do, we do a lot of outreach and recovery where you talk with other people in recovery and share, you know, how you're using the tools of recovery. And I got a lot of reflection back to me that how I talk is really helpful to people. And I'm like, I'm just talking. And so I was like, you know, I find myself repeating a lot of the same things over and over again. Why don't I just record it? And so I started my podcast without any strategy at all, without really thinking it through. It honestly never occurred to me. It would have anything to do with my business. And here I am almost 200 episodes later and I have um, quite a treasure trove. And so I talk about things like one of the most important things that I learned in recovery was acceptance. Like I learned to accept things that were formerly unacceptable to me. I learned how to let go of expectations. I used, I heard years before recovery, you know, expectations are premeditated resentments. I'm like, all right, fine. I got that. Like, how do you let go of expectations? I talk a lot about that. Another thing um, that I, I have probably five or six episodes on is about victim mentality I had that for me was the biggest paradigm shift in recovery, which I did not know that I had victim mentality. I think most people that have it don't know it. Um, I could spot a victim 10 miles away because I was going to rescue that person. I don't think I called them that, but I didn't know that I, I had it. And so one of the things we say in my ACA program is that through the process of recovery, we go from being a reactor to life to being an actor in life. And that's what coming out of victim mentality does. Because if you truly believe you have nothing to do with the status of your life, then you're never going to try to take responsibility for it. You're not going to take action. 
And I, the, I, I would say like the crack in the door that helped me to be able to see I had victim mentality was when I started doing step four, my relationship inventory. And I realized every single man I dated, my attitude was, well, if he would have just X, Y, Z fill in the blank, then everything would have been okay. And I'm like, oh wait, this is me acting like I have nothing to do with the status of our relationship. And on the face of it, that doesn't sound right. Well, the further I got in recovery, I realized what I was actually thinking was this. He's responsible for all the negative parts of our relationship, but I'm responsible for all of the positive aspects of our relationship. And like, I'm laughing now because that's insane. How is that possible that one person is 100% good and one person is 100% bad? There's no such person like that, right? So that really helped me. And then it turned out I had that that mentality all over the place. And so one way that that showed up was I had the same boss for 19 years and I did love her dearly, but she also drove me insane. And what I did was I complained about her behind her back. By the way, that's called gossip. I didn't understand that, which is kind of the definition of gossip, but that's how much in denial I was about my own behavior. So instead of going to her and saying, hey, this isn't working, I would complain about her behind her back. And what ended up happening was because I was there longer than everybody else and I had a larger purview than everybody else, I created a culture where the expectation is we don't go to her and say, hey, we need to change things. We complain about her behind her back. So I created this culture of expectation, which just supported things staying the way that they were. And so learning to come out of victim mentality, to stop gossiping and all that sort of thing really changed things for me. And then, so I was in recovery for two and a half years and then I ended up getting laid off. I worked for Yale University um, and I had been grant funded for a long time. So I feel like the universe did for me what I couldn't do for myself, which I really needed to leave. And so that happened. And then through a series of serendipitous events, I started my business. Well, there you go. The universe had a place for you. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So, well, any closing thoughts? Um, So I I do like to close uh, when I guess on podcasts with the idea of keeping the focus on yourself. And I mean that in four different ways. Number one, keeping the focus on yourself means what do I want or need in this situation? That was not something I ever asked. Number two, am I minding my own business? I used to give unsolicited advice to people all the time, like about relationships, for example. Even though I never had a healthy one, I doled out I doled out advice. If people want your help, let them ask. Or if you really feel like you want to help someone out, ask them, are you looking for advice? So just, you know, mind your own business. And then um, the the thing I learned, especially from step four in recovery, we call it looking for what's my part in things. Another way to ask that question is, what could I do differently here? Or what could I do to prevent that situation from happening? That to me is helping you get out of the victim mentality. Because if you are blaming other people for everything that's happened in your life, you're screwed. Because if other people really are the problem, you are screwed. But if you can do something about it, then do it. And then the last way to keep the focus on yourself is taking really good care of yourself. I mean, you know, resting, eating properly, you know, um, having fun, taking care of your health. I abused myself terribly for much of my life. 
and I'm about to be 60 and I'm the healthiest I have ever been in my life. And it feels great. Congratulations. That's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Giant Builders, I'm sure there's probably somebody that's in your life that would really benefit from this information. And so I just ask you to not search for them, but just share this so that people can understand boundaries and what Mm -hmm. difference it can make in their lives. Mm -hmm. So, Barb, I thank you so much. That was great information and so much in just a lot to intake. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for all the work that you're doing, Lois. Thank you. All right, Giant Builders, remember, Tuesdays are Thursdays at 2. See you then. Thank you for listening. This has been The Giant Builders with Lois Wyant.